You jump to the right and you shake a hand and you jump to the left and you shake that hand. Meet new friends, tie that yarn, and that's how you do the scarn. Boom! Hey everyone, this is Chris, and you're listening to One Cross Radio, and today we are rejoined by the always handsome and awesome Brad Halsey. Brad, how you doing? Oh, you flatter me. I'm good. <laughs> uh, and dear listener, today we're talking about an interesting topic, but before we get into it, um, I just wanted to give a shout out to Faith and Fandom. Uh, Hector Mirai dropped Faith and Fandom Volume 6. You can find it on Amazon. It is excellent. Uh, I've read through most of it. It is it is an outstanding book. I really recommend all of all of the Faith and Fandom books. But number number six had, had kicked the crap out of me. There was times where I was reading it, and it was like God was giving me a grace filled punch right through it. And I'm like, okay, I needed this. So thank you, um, thank you, Hector, for writing it and all you do. And dear listener, please go check it uh, check out. Faith and Fandom, the podcast, and the books, uh, and Volume 6 is available on Amazon and is well worth a purchase. Uh, so before we get into the main topic, Brad, I do have a question I'm going to throw just randomly at you. Do it. Uh, why is it so embarrassing when you come out of the bathroom with toilet paper attached to your shoe? <laughs> I really can't figure it out. I know it's like one of the most embarrassing things, but I can't figure out why. I think from a from a social standpoint, it's the it's just become the social norm that that's we've attributed to toilet paper with poo, and poo is gross. Like I think that's the simple answer is just because it's like ew that means there might be poo on their foot or they did something unclean or whatever. So I think that's where the connection is is you know what comes out of your bottom on a toilet and what you usually use toilet paper for at least as a guy is pretty much just for the bum so you attribute that i think with just poo <laughs> i think that's why i think that's the easy fair yeah no i i've been racking my brain for like a couple days the other day i was like but why is it so embarrassing i don't think anybody's got poop on their shoe but it's just it's like it's like physical money it it has worth because we give it worth it has it has awkward and disgustingness because we make it that way i mean granted obviously poo is gross but we choose to respond to it the way we do, right, as a society, so. It's true, it's true. It's not to get on the, uh, oh no, I'm going to just get sidetracked and we're going to have a poo conversation. <laughs> the reactions you, you get to that stuff, um, dear listener, I'm sorry, and I hope this is entertaining for you. It's so funny, though, because when it's larger groups, you're like, ew, poo is gross. But then when it's like a bunch of guy friends, it's like, did you, you should have seen the size of it or something or like the baby green that. Anyways, we don't have to talk about poo. Um, so, Brad, actually, you messaged me about this conversation. I think it's it's definitely a fun and intriguing one. So I'm going to let you set it up, sir. What are we talking about today? Sure. So this is something that I, I find over the last, I don't know, maybe several years, and something I, I started to realize when I was in my early 20s, um, how significant it is a part of our life as Christians. And it just, I keep coming back to it. And I had a really good conversation with uh, two friends of mine, um, when I was back in Toronto talking about this influence and stuff. And so all that is to say um, is, is it's really just talking about um, sort of the pull, not the, yeah, sort of the, the contrast between um, culture and what is theologically true. And so that, that idea of how culture influences 
um, our view on scripture, the way we interpret scripture, um, and so on. Not necessarily the culture within scripture, which is also really important, um, but ultimately just the way we view it based on our own culture and how we breathe our views and opinions and stuff into scripture. I definitely think this is a, a good and interesting uh, and important topic, just because you can... Even last night, myself and my uh, coworker Tia, uh, we were talking about how culture can can influence scripture, but to a ne- like our view of scripture, but to a negative degree. And I know that's not what we're talking about, but as you're mentioning, I was like, "There's yes a f- and no. yes and no," but like the the flip side of like, okay, well, we like we these are broad generalized statements because this isn't the topic we're getting into, but live in a culture right now and age where it's like everything's okay everything's okay like you need to be you need to respond with love and grace and everything's okay everything's acceptable scripturally that's not true but a lot of churches because there i feel like there is a swing where beforehand it's like okay we handled responding to these things wrong and we responded way too harshly and not biblically but now in that swing it's almost like okay well we're not going to address like no, this is like things are sin. This is bad. It's trying to find that that ground, but yeah, it's just we kind of had that topic last night, and then I was really excited about doing this with you today because I'm like, we're approaching that topic, but from a different lens and a different viewpoint. Well, and for me, part of it is that that piece that that's the big frustration I have. And part of why this conversation initially came up more recently with me, basically a few hours before I texted you, was because I was chatting with my friends. They go with a, to a fairly, um, I don't know if you want to say fundamentalist, but very traditional church in the you know Western stereotypical sense of when you think of a traditional white church in a small town. Um, and I was challenged by it in a couple of ways. One, it was I, I applaud them for their conviction and like you say about instead of trying to swing too far the other way, they're like, no, we're going to stay true to this because this is our understanding. But then within that, looking at where the cultural bias is um, for it. And there's a few examples that I want to broach, but there was actually one story. I was um, going back into my hermeneutics book from, from college and really liked this little story that they shared. And if you're cool with it, I just want to read it. Um, So just to give context, um, the book is written by two um, theologians in the States. It's our textbook we used for the class. They are Southern Baptist. Um, I think it's important just with everything. It's context. So obviously they come with their own bias and their own point of view when they're telling their stories. Um, But ultimately, they use the example to start off this section on what we bring to the text when we're interpreting it, Um, telling the story about this American boy um, who is experiencing a Christmas pageant uh, in Ethiopia. Um, So I'm just going to read kind of a piece of it. Um, So Christmas pageants in the United States are fairly uh, stereotypical. Danny, who's the boy, assumed that this one would be similar. Um, How else can you tell a story? Uh, The pageant started off normal enough. At the beginning, a town crier uh, of sorts was walking back and forth, shouting through the megaphone, proclaiming the new Roman census requirements. Um, uh, Yeah, after some preparation by Joseph's family, he and Mary finally departed for Bethlehem. Here is where the pageant began to differ. For Joseph and Mary did not travel alone. Mary, quite big in her last month of pregnancy, was accompanied by over a dozen aunts and female cousins. Joseph walked along in front, followed by all these women who were chatting and giggling merrily about the babies and about babies and motherly things. Whoa, Danny thought. 
Whatever happened to the typical travel scene of Mary, Joseph, and the donkey? Where did all these women come from? They're not in the story. A few minutes later, the noisy entourage uh, arrived in Bethlehem, noisy, sorry, uh, and were directed to the sheep pen, crowded with sheep. Soon Mary started labor. Joseph paced nervously back and forth in front of the stable, while the women, several of them midwives, crowded around Mary to help deliver the baby. A short labor ensued, and soon the women all gave a high, shrill, vibrating cry, the typical Ethiopian joy cry that announces the birth of every child in Ethiopia. The spectators uh, cheered, and the women in the crowd joined in the Joy cry with the actors. Hearing cry, hearing the cry, Joseph ran into the sheep pen to see the newborn baby. Later, of course, the fa uh, familiar shepherds came, followed by the wise men. All, um, all in all, the pageant took two hours. What struck Danny was the way in which the Ethiopians had interpreted the story through their culture. Um, and then one last line I just thought was interesting that kind of surmised the point for me. Um, it's not a big deal to us in North America because we live in a world of doctors and hospitals. And so this was the big point that I found, like, grasp my, my idea is that um, when we look at scripture, a lot of the time there, there's pieces missing. It actually makes me think of Jurassic Park and when they're talking about how they piece together d DNA and filling in with the frog DNA just as a random uh, nerd moment. But it's that same thing where we... But it's that same thing, right, where we look at it and see some understanding, but we see gaps. And naturally, whether it's intentional or unintentional, we fill those gaps with what we already know and perceive to know, such as for them, or Ethiopia culture, um, Ethiopian culture, you have, and a lot of other cultures, especially African cultures, you have the whole families involved in a pregnancy. You wouldn't have this one guy who's young, never have helped with a kid. He's not going to wander you know, to another town by himself when she's in her, like, last moments of the birth. Um, so it makes sense. Uh, never mind the cultural piece. It does make sense. But then you look at our culture, we think of, what, what do you think of when you think of baby coming? You think of hospital, you think of dad freaking out, getting mom in the car and driving to the hospital or calling a taxi or an Uber these days, getting in there and going to the hospital. But that's and not the... having some cigars in the waiting right? room, which isn't allowed anymore. But. Right. <laughs> But that just, that, again, I feel like that surmises that whole piece is that we come with these cultural biases, whether it's good or bad, and we just assume this is right. And this is something else that the book talks about, and it's something that uh, another theologian that they reference this really good, um, what's his name? Something Van Hooser. Um, uh, Kevin Van Hooser talks about it, and it's this idea of um, uh, pre-understanding. It's our preconceived notions and understandings we've formulated before actually coming to Scripture. So rather than coming and saying, hey, book, hey, God, what are you going to teach me? It's saying, I'm coming, I know some of these answers already, but I guess I'll see what you have. And rather than letting Scripture do the work, we're doing the work for the Scripture, which if the Bible teaches us anything, that's wrong. Right. And this is where my frustration comes in and where I want to have this conversation about it and yeah. your thoughts on it and what we, our obligation is within that as well as how, how can we realistically um, interpret scripture in a safe way that is as, as unbiased as possible because I, right. I don't think it's possible to be completely unbiased. But Yeah, that's a, <laughs> it's a meaty conversation. Um, and then the way my brain works is I hear something and I think of a reference. And that's when you were like, Kevin, uh, Kevin Van House? Uh, who's it? Well, it's uh, V-A-N-H-O-O-Z-E-R. 
He's okay. a, he's an English theologian who's who's written some stuff about it. Um, and he has a really good quote, actually. Let me just say it. Um, yeah. uh, where is it? Some uh, when you come with pre-understanding, it's it's a it's a kind of pride. Um, and he says this kind of pride um, it encourages us to think that we have got the correct meaning before we have made the appropriate effort to recover it. Pride does not listen; it knows. Oh man, like so. <laughs> This is a heavy, heavy topic, and it's one that I actually want to be an ongoing one. Um, sure. But the the reference I the reference I got stuck on was I was like, oh, Milhouse Van Helton. Um, <laughs> as soon as you said Van, I was like, everything's coming up, Milhouse. Um, <laughs> I can enter my name, Thrill House. Um, sorry, sorry. Uh, so yeah, no, that's a that's very, very interesting, and I think there's. Like, it is challenging just because I... Th- <laughs> trying to unpack it. Like, at times you can come to the scripture, and I think there is stuff where you can come to it where it's like, I know what the word says, but you can still be open to listening to it. Because there are things in the scripture that are at, like, that are spelled out, like, spelled out and referenced numerous times as to this is sinful behavior, this isn't okay, this is what the Savior did. But... Like you said, that can easily become a pride thing where it's like, well, I know what it says, so I know how I can act. Where that's not necessarily what it's saying. You can extrapolate, if I use that word remotely correctly, um, from the word. It's like, okay, this behavior is sinful. This lifestyle is sinful. Doing this means I am falling short of the glory of God and I am dishonoring God. I am dishonoring my wife. All sin. But... You can all, but that doesn't mean like, okay, if I just avoid that and then it's like, okay, I've made it a list. I can check off this list, even though the heart's not there, the behavior's not there. And how much it's been an ongoing joke, but how much of it can be a pride for an issue for pride for someone in the church to be like, hey, I can crush everybody at Bible trivia where it's like, sure, you know, you might know off the top of your head, the scripture, but how does that play out? How do you live that? How does that affect you? Um, well, and even uh, that's even scriptural, right? Even even the yeah. demons know that God is God is real and and quiver at Him, but knowing yeah. it and living it and feeling and breathing the Spirit is an entirely different experience, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then it like it does get complicated. It gets very very complicated. And then how like living in culture where it's like. At time, I'm a big fan of rebuke, but when done well, when done well. So how do you call, like, lovingly call out a brother or sister to do the ironing, sharpening iron? But then also recognizing at times, like, okay, this might be, sometimes it could be a gray area. um, Where it's like, this is, drinking is an example where it's like, this is sin for me because of, it's a stumbling block for me. It does cause me to sin, but it does not cause you to sin. Like, we can't deny the passages where Jesus made wine. Jesus drank wine. Now, yes, it was the water back then was filthy, so the wine was better. But he also was not getting drunk. But there are certain there are groups in the church who have made, like, any use of alcohol a sin. And others are like, no, they're not advocating getting drunk. But they're like, no, it's not. Like, using any kind of, like, having a sip of wine or having a glass of wine is not a sin. Or dancing. Or 
and this is a practical example that I know we're going to bring up, tattoos, where now there is tattoos in the Old Testament, but that, like, saying no in the Old Testament, how do you reckon... That's a heavier conversation in the terms of, like, you can point to something from the Old Testament, but then Jesus answered the Old Testament, still invited, not invited it, but you got answered the Old Testament, but also didn't say ignore the Old Testament, but there's a lot of stuff from the Old Testament. He fulfilled the Testament. it. There we go. I could not words. Uh, he fulfilled uh, it. And if I can just briefly speak to that point, please, both generally please. and specifically to this to tattoo one, because for those yeah. listeners who aren't aware, I'm, I have quite a few tattoos. Um, awesome. Oh, thank you. Well, and again, my friends who um, I, I was chatting with when I was in Toronto, I had I was only with them for like a day and a half, but we had some amazing talks. And one of them had a very strong opinion about tattoos. And without us actually even talking about it, which I think also just speaks that much more to what evangelism and, and sharing your faith needs to be, without me sharing anything about it, I completely changed his opinion on tattoos. Um, because of the way I presented myself. He told me this at the end of the time I was hanging out with him because of the way I presented myself um, and what they meant to me. Because, again, for those who can't see, um, pretty much 95% of them are scriptural references um, or, yeah. Um, And so uh, just the two pieces with that, um, one from a hermeneutical standpoint, which is interpretation of the scripture. One thing that time and time again I came back to in my hermeneutics class and just talking with people about interpretation is you need scripture to interpret scripture. So um, Old Testament says it, New Testament says it in a different way, you're pretty much guaranteed this is factual. You need to see that repeat. Um, And that's not a blanket rule for everything, but pretty much anything significant that we would say these are fundamentals of faith are repeated. There may be said in one cultural view originally because it made sense to the Israelites in the situation they were in. And then when Jesus came, when there was much more of a society, um, he revamped some of them. He didn't abolish them. As he said, I didn't come to abolish. I came to fulfill. And that fulfillment is basically saying, doing away with some of the little nitty gritty things and simplifying it in some ways, making it simple and clear, but also challenging us more because it's more than just go wash your hands and you're good. It's talking about the internal, the heart, which is so much deeper. Um, and then just the other piece with that tattoos, um, the only really references I've ever come across with that is in Leviticus, and it talks about not marking your body. And the cultural and just um, cont- contextual point of that was because they were trying to differentiate themselves from ball worshippers and other pagan worshippers at the time who used marking of their skin, not necessarily tattooing, but it was more so scarring of themselves. But even if it was tattooing, um, as a way of saying, this is how I show that I'm worshiping this God, which is obviously a false God. And so God, you know, coming to Moses and coming to the leader saying, you can't do that because this is what they're doing and we're trying to differentiate ourselves. And so there could still be an argument to say, well, you're not differentiating yourself from those of the world who have tattoos. I would say otherwise because um, it's pretty clear, according to my, my arms, that there is a faith component to my life. And I can't hide that. I mean, I could wear yeah. a long sleeve shirt, but even then I have it on my wrists. Um, and so for me, it's it's living and walking my faith. Even when I'm having a crappy day and I'm a jerk, it's still there, and I still have to account uh, for it to people. Um, but with that being the only component of it and talking about it in that time, I can feel confident in myself and my conviction and know that I'm not, I am not doing anything against God because I am not aligning myself with, you know, with pagans, with um, false leaders, but instead I'm trying to share my faith and show it in a way that makes sense to me. Yeah, no, and I, I really think that was a great summation and a great, uh, 
great counterpoint because I, I, I tend to agree with you on this issue. I have no biblical beef with tattoos. Um, I find the fulfillment and then, as you mentioned, the markings. But then also, like, as you went through, you're like, the majority of your tattoos are scripture-based. Like, they, that's evidence of your faith. And to tie it into the wider topic, like, as we're talking about how much of this is cultural impact, like, tattoos really used to be a bit more of a niche, and that niche was punk rock, heavy metal, like, and other subcultures. Or, or gang, gang-related. For a lot of people, gang, it's, gang, it's gang-related. Gang Being in a biker gang. Yeah. yeah. Biker gangs. Like, it all had, to the church and to wider society a negative connotation because a lot of not that everybody in those groups well except for gangs because gangs are bad but <laughs> like everybody was just like well if you've got sleeves then you're a delinquent like you're a punker you're you're a gang member you're this like you can't have this or, but same thing with mohawks and certain hairstyles or even certain styles of dress like sometimes you can understand that um like, I remember in my teens when I hung out with, like, I had some friends, but those friends in their teens used a fair bit of drugs. And I dressed in a certain way. Like, I wasn't imbibing in any drugs, but I did not necessarily always look the most presentable. Uh, Brad remembers because he knew how I dressed then, where it would be like huge baggy jean pants, torn jean shorts on top of them, a huge chain, um, like a giant afro. And every once in a while, like in going into a store or if the police were coming by, we would get the look over. Now, I'm like, I, in retrospect, I understand why entirely. Like a lot of people who did shady things happen to dress that way. It's not to justify. That's just to explain. But we're not that case anymore. And I don't think the church should look at that. Like, And so many... How many people have been converted coming from those things and they're they're not going to remove their tattoos that's not that shouldn't be an expectation um, well not even that but the the process of removing tattoos is not only incredibly expensive it's incredibly yeah. painful and for yeah. some people that may be a way for them to atone for their sins but it's certainly not something we're called to do there there's not a scriptural for some people they've found a scriptural interpretation of being I need to feel pain in order to feel uh, to be you know washed of my sins but for you know most the majority of interpretation that is not the case and so that's yeah like you said that that certainly should not yeah. be an expectation it's it's an inward thing it, it's it's and your I, skin is your skin and I feel that interpretation is borderline like as we're talking about the bias oh, where absolutely. it's there's I don't see anything in scripture where it's like, no, you absolutely have to do this. Now, you get practical examples with Jesus where he's like, it would be better for you to pluck out your eye. But he's talking parable. Yeah. Like, I don't think he legit means pull out your eye. Now, Dr. Uh, John Piper at a um, T4G thing, they mentioned, they brought up some stuff. And he's like, all right, you want to know how? If, you're, if, your eye if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And everybody's like, all right, John, serious. Like... And then it's, but again, that's metaphorical. It's not a legit do this. Um, and I think this topic also ties into another one you suggested when you texted me, uh, how we dress on Sunday mornings. That was that was what ultimately sparked me to, to message you was because again, my friend's church who I actually really enjoyed being there. It was it was quite 
um, refreshing because of their conviction on it. Um, but that being said, I didn't agree with it that they were very strict on or not strict. They were quite welcoming. I was I mean, I dressed nicer than I usually do for church, but I wasn't wearing a full suit. Um, and I had a dozen people come up and introduce themselves to me and stuff. And there were other people there were in jeans and that who were clearly visitors. Um, but their general teachings and also the teaching of, of the text that they were using for their Sunday school was quite vocal about the importance um, of the appropriate dress on a Sunday, um, because when you didn't, um, the the chance of backsliding into sin was much more apparent. That was basically what the text said um, from this writer who's an independent Baptist um, theologian from the States that my friends don't entirely agree with, um, but yeah. their church is, you know, using his text that he wrote. So obviously there are people in their church that believe enough yeah. that they can teach from it. Um, and so I had some concerns from that. Actually, the biggest concern I had was reading some of the later areas, and he was talking about being careful with, you know, watered-down Christian teaching from people, and he shared a big list, and um, um, C.S. Lewis was on it. And I was like, <laughs> what? That guy, I love that guy. I think, And I, I think that was also my own bias is why I was upset by that, but also looking at the bigger thing of I feel like this guy is trying to swing so hard against – yeah. Um, you know, the secularized, postmodern, whatever you want to call it, Christianity, that he's going so far the other way to make sure there's no room for error, which, again, I can understand, but I don't agree with. And so yeah. that came back yeah. to the suit thing, because um, my, my question with that is when you talk about um, you need to be traditional or whatever, um, two things there. One, culturally, suits are not traditional for everyone. Not every part of the world wears suits as a normal thing. So are you saying they're wrong or they need to do it their way or your way or what? But then also, yeah. at what point in history um, was it traditional? Because you talk about like their church also only sings traditional hymns. Never mind the fact the word hymn just means any worshiping song to God. But are we talking the OG like bar tunes? Where yeah, like they have the book. They like, have the hymn book and that's what they sing from, which again, I enjoyed. But my question yeah, when... Hymns are awesome. But my question yeah. for a group like that that says you have to do only those is at what point are the songs not okay anymore? Because those songs were, were new at some point. Were you at that point saying, no, we need to do the older songs or it was those songs? Like, where do you draw the line? That's yeah. my frustration with the whole thing. And uh, it, it's like, yeah, no, it's, uh, it, I have concerns when you said like the guys like how you dress can lead to backsliding. I'm like, how? Well, to a regard, I mean, you come in as a, you know, I mean, unfortunately my mind always goes to a woman, uh, but in reality, a guy can also dress super provocative and stuff as well. Yeah. But you think right. of the stereotypical woman with a low cut and high skirt and stuff, or a guy wearing maybe super tight clothing or wearing things very low and showing everything behind him. It's like, I, I'm all down for everybody dressing in a way that doesn't tempt anybody like, like within reason. That being said at time, like I, like I'm at a point now where it's like you could be covered head to toe, and someone will st that will still cause somebody to stumble. Now, points I've seen women or men, but I'm a straight male, so the men have never been an issue. But you can see women, and that's not to throw anybody under the bus. Uh, wearing clothes like fully clothed, but it's tight enough or tight in certain places enough where I'm like, there's nothing to the imagination. Someone in a micro bikini, there would be more to the imagination than this. Like, 
I think at times it for me it borders on legalistic where it's like your skirt has to be down but like down to below your knees. It absolutely must. I'm like if if it's a little bit above the knees, like if I struggle with lust, I'm still going to whether or not the, the length doesn't matter. And then and that's on me, especially in the like in the summer where I'm like I'm pretty sure my internal temperature is 25 degrees Celsius. Just because as soon as I, as soon as it gets north of that outside, I'm uncomfortable. It's hot. I'm sweating. I'm like, I want not, I never do it outside, but I'm like, I want to be in as little as possible just so I can get rid of this heat because my clothes are trapping it against me. And then you get people, women who are just trying to dress comfortably so they can worship comfortably. So that's where like, yes, if people do it for the wrong reasons, I like, yeah, I'm going to wear next to nothing. And I know I look super tight and muscular and this could be an issue. And that strokes my ego. Then no, shut up. You're, you're in the wrong, (laughs) but for other, I I think there should be some grace. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then like when I worked at Calvary, I actually liked dressing up. I never wore a suit, but it was, it was something I enjoyed doing. And they, they never put any pressure on me to do it. Like, I am friggin' Captain Casual. I will rock graphic t-shirts and jeans any time of the year. Like, at, at when I go to work, I that's how I am. I love the where I work. I can just dress like that because that's how I dress. But when I was working at Calvary, it was from no prompting from them. I'm like, no, I want to dress fancier. Like, I, I, did, around that, I was doing that anyway. But I'd be like, I'm gonna bust out a bow tie on Sunday mornings, especially if I'm, especially if I'm doing any kind of like the prayer in front of the church or something. I don't. And it's not to be like, hey, I look good. I'm like, I can and I want to dress well for God. So again, I think it's the, it's the heart of the matter. If someone wants to dress up on a Sunday morning, friggin' a, go for it. But if it's like, no, you have to, and this is, you brought up a great point. Like cultures, it's not a cultural norm in North America for everybody to rock a suit and a dress. And then how would you handle the cultural norm in other countries where it's, Hey, nudity is an everyday occurrence in non-sexual context or what have you. You say words now I've been monologuing. I mean, yeah, that's, that's my challenge is I don't think there's a clear cut, you know, reference in scripture saying, yes, wear this, I think it's, it comes back to the cultural interpretation because there, there's time and time again in, in, in scripture, it talks about even like first Corinthians six twenty, um, for you were bought with a price to glorify God in your body. That can easily be interpreted, especially from a cultural point of saying that means no tattoos. That means I need to look my best. I need to be clean cut. I need to be all those things. Um, and so that's that's my challenge is I think it needs to be at a point where it's, like you said, it should be from the heart and it should be comfortable. If this is what you feel called to do, um, then do so. And and maybe it even is the reality of, of not being part of that body of believers in that church if you can't align yourself with that. Um, that's something I really, I really appreciate in the conviction of my friend um, who goes to that church because he's even a deacon there. Um, and he doesn't agree with every teaching that comes out of the pastor's mouth, but he's still um, um, committed to that community for, 
for the community, for his family that attends that community, um, and the community that they've built there from the time he was a child. And so I, I commend him for that because I think that's the other challenge that you face too is if you walk into a church, and I did this a lot in my early 20s and immediately found something I didn't like about it, you immediately wrote off that church. Um, and then that's when you get this generation of people our age or younger than us now who basically just church hop because it's easier to find something wrong and then move on to the next community than commit to something. This idea yeah. of commitment is so hard for people today because the reality is also we live in a culture of being uncommitted and being very self-oriented. Or as you were talking about church hopping, it's like, or on the other side, you get people who are like, oh, I go to like five different, like three or four different churches. It's like, really, why? It's like, well, here I love the children's ministry. This one, the worship's hot. And this one, I really like the teaching. It's like, it's great that you can get, uh, and know, definitely get teaching from multiple sources. That That's why I'm thankful for podcasts. I keep up with Calvary sermons um, through that. And then you can hear, like, Ask Pastor John or any number of things, like any good pod. Pardon? You're not listening to Steve? Oh, no, I listen to Fords, but they're not on Podbean. Oh, okay. Yeah, they post theirs on their website. Yeah, no, I you yeah you access theirs through the websites. Calvary's on Podbean now. Uh, so then I just, whenever they update, it auto-downloads if I open Podbean and I'm connected to Wi-Fi. Um, we live in an age where we can get a lot of, a lot of stuff, but then at the same point, like, if you're at three different, like, at three physical different churches, like, how invested are you in any of those communities not to say that you can't but i find that challenging because it can be challenging to get invested in one community at a church as we are very like you said self at times self-preserving or self-serving and it's easy to put your guard up for one like a church family let alone a bunch of others so it's it's interesting yeah Well, and I think ultimately it all, and this is what came up yesterday chatting with uh, my friend here is, I guess, basically my mentor. He's he's older. He's older than my dad, and I meet with him occasionally. Um, But he... Yeah, he honestly, he reminds me of my dad too. It's kind of funny. Um, But he works for an organization called Faith Beyond Belief, and they, I guess I'll do a little plug for them. They they basically are trying to offer programming and stuff to answer um, issues around worldview. And rather than things, whether that's homosexuality or other topics where the the Christian population, unfortunately, either just kind of bends over or doesn't have a response to, um, they're trying to come with a biblically grounded, love-based response to that and have a conversation around identity because it's more than just a sexual orientation. It's an identity piece. Um, but one of the um, one of the studies or classes or whatever that they offer that he's been doing a lot of is a uh, worldview course. And they talk about, you know, your worldview. And ultra- ultimately that comes back to that the cultural influences and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's really where I think a lot of this is ultimately rooted in. It's our worldview because our worldview, just like our cultural bias or whatever you want to call it, is impacted by everything around us, by our upbringing, by the church we went to, by the teachers we listened to, by the books we read, the music we Absolutely. we align ourselves with, Christian or non-Christian, all the way down. It all affects um, our worldview. And that's so mm-hmm. crucial for interpreting the Bible because our worldview should be defined by the bible it shouldn't be defined by the world around us and unfortunately i think that's the mark that we're all falling super short of and that's why you have these huge groups it's crazy i don't know if you've ever heard of the barna group 
um, they do these studies, these like spiritual studies, and they've been doing it for years. Um, and they actually, they did one, this is, came up in the conversation and my friend Ian had mentioned it before. They did a study in 2006 of, I don't know how many, like four or 5,000 adults in the States um, to see basically, to find a number, a tangible number on who was actively an evangelical Christian, which evangelism is kind of its own sect of Christianity, but it's very much what most people would align themselves with in the Western world. Um, that yeah. idea of sharing your faith and faith, um, you know, having salvation through faith rather than through action and da 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 um, But they basically did this study to see how many people met the mark um, of being um, an evangelical Christian, and they had seven, two, four, six, seven points. And the seven points were you're a born-again Christian. So basically they said, they didn't use the words born again, but they basically said they have a personal commitment to Christ. They believe when they die they're going to heaven, and that's from confessing their sins to God. So that's one point. Saying their faith is very important to their life. That was another point. Um, believing they have a personal responsibility to share their faith with Christians and non-Christians. Um, mm. Believing that Satan exists believing the, that internal salvation is possible only through grace, not through action, um, mm-hmm. believing that Christ lived a sinless life while he was here on earth, and asserting that the Bible is accurate in all that it teaches. So those seven things people would need to align themselves with. So they did a study and asked all these people, um, and it was interesting, the results, because never mind the fact that it was like 80% or something basically said, yeah, I would call myself an evangelical Christian of the people they spoke to, but after giving them this wide variety of questions, including ones that basically gave them the answer to these seven, only how much, how much percent do you think actually meets the, the qualifications to, to be an evangelical Christian according to these, these points? I'll say 20 to 25%. 8%. 8% believe all these things. So that means there's people out there saying, I'm a Christian, I believe in God, but don't agree with... Um, Satan exists. Don't believe that heaven exists. Don't believe that the Bible is true. And so this is ultimately, I thought was it's staggering. And there's all this data. The data yeah. there is, um, is there again. It's Barna Group, um, and you can look them up and see some of the stats. And it's kind of scary because um, it just shows why we have such confusion in in the church. Whether that's how we're interpreting scripture, or even just how we're yeah, ultimately it's how we're interpreting scripture and therefore then how we're sharing and agreeing with theology is because people have such skewed views already um, that it yeah. just, you, it's impossible to have a clear non-biased um, foundation if you can't even believe the things that I would say are, uh, are foundational to the Christian faith. That's, that's a staggering stat, man. <laughs> like, it's scary. And it's obviously, yeah. again, that may not... Um, account for every person, but that still shows that there are fundamental pieces of our faith that people say, I believe in God, but I don't believe all these things that he says we need to believe. Yeah. And that's, it becomes a slippery slope and that's the danger with whatever whatever you want to call liberal churches or progressive or whatever, because I would not constitute myself as super conservative, but then there's sometimes I hear some things and I'm like, what? And then I'm like, maybe I am. I don't know, but it's just... yeah it's it's so funny with that though just because there's in certain with certain christian friends and christian circles uh i like i'm viewed as too liberal but then with other with other christian circles and friends it's like i'm i'm too conservative where where it's just like yeah um 
just trying to be biblical <laughs> how how it like yeah cultural impact personal views like all of this impacts um as you were saying like the seven points i was like wow that's two beyond tulip um so two beyond calvinists uh no that's just my joke um not a really funny one but it was to me so in your face um, <laughs> sorry um yeah it's 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 so interesting and scary and yeah like there to me there's a lot of black and white in scripture but there's also a lot of gray and the but the danger i'm finding and it's something i'm constantly praying through like even if it's something i find gray i'm like i better pray through this because i could easily be misinterpreting something that's black and white as gray just because of the desires of my sinful heart or just my bias or whatever. Um, but then there's other... That should be the norm. Yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah. The, the scary thing is that somehow that is some sort of revolutionary thing to, to think, oh, I should be thinking Bible first versus what my pastor says. That is yeah. some sort of well, revolutionary or out there idea that's crazy. And, and that's the thing I appreciate. Um, I'll specifically call out Pastor Matt from uh, St. Clair, but also Pastor Daniel and Pastor Isaac from, from Calvary. Before any, any sermon, or every sermon, I should say. Um, also, I know uh, Will, who runs our Mishfam, who's interning at uh, St. Clair, and then Pastor Dave, who is also at Mishfam and has been on the podcast every sermon before they go into it they'll they'll broach the topic but then we're like now let us pr- like now let's some t- take some time to pray and then they're asking god to reveal through so it's also not just their words but god's word um when daniel took over before i left like he he had just been there a couple months and he was very much like i want you to read along because i don't want you to just take my word for it like you need to read God's words and we want, like, I don't want you to just take my interpretation, like read through it. If there's a difference of interpretation, let's have a conversation. I'm like, that's friggin' awesome. Cause you can find a video online. Um, Joel Osteen, who, who I have a number, a number of disagreements with over everything. And I'm not saying he did this maliciously. Um, cause I, I don't know the full context I've seen, but I've seen the video and that, and of itself is still bad as he was saying like i think i can't remember the exact scripture but let's so we'll pretend he said joel 5 says this and then the person making the video put up the scripture of what joel 5 said not only was it not remotely connected to what osteen was preaching about uh it like it was completely different like contextually and everything so i don't know the full context um, even though I disagree with Olstein and anybody in the prosperity movement, I do try to pray for, I not try, I do pray for them. Uh, cause we're, yeah. we're told to pray for our leaders. We're told to pray for our enemies. We're told to pray for those who persecute us. We have no reason not to be praying for people we disagree with. Um, but even still just like that. And as the, as in the video it's panning, I'm like, I'm trying to see people reading their Bibles. Cause I'm like, this is interesting. Because this this cat saying something that's not there, that's not connected. So shout out to pastors who actually do that. 
I monologue. No, that's great. And I, I do the same. Like I challenge whether that's my pastor at our small church of, you know, 20 people or that's a church I'm visiting. Um, I always have usually two things, my, my Bible and my phone with the blue letter Bible app, um, which is basically it has just like the Bible app. It has like a whole bunch of translations, but then it also allows you to cross reference. It shows commentaries um, and a whole bunch of other stuff there, content that's really good. Um, and I feel like that is so crucial because you need you need multiple sources, whether that's people of different denominations, different leadership, different whatever. But you need those just the same as I'm a big believer in checking different translations, because even with from translation to translation, there can be confusion in the interpretation. Even if you come with the most unbiased view ever, it can still be confusing because it depends on what a what your objective is when you're looking at it but b also how you're looking at it are you looking at just one verse on its own because regardless of translation that's usually risky because you don't have the context but are you looking at the whole book are you looking at just this paragraph whatever so it's so important for that context um because those are the kind of steps that we have to take both like you said you know taking that time to pray and thinking about it ahead of time um as well as, you know, talking to yourself essentially and being like, what biases am I coming in with? But then also looking at the broader piece that's such a fundamental piece of hermeneutics and interpretation is looking at the context of the larger scope. Because you look at Romans or any of the letters that Paul wrote, you can take a few verses and get a really good message out of it. But how many times have you had someone write you a letter and you only took, you know, two lines out of that letter and then you didn't read the rest of the letter? Like that just seems yeah. absurd. So you need to take the larger context of the message that's being sent there. Even the larger Bible, that's something I found through the hermeneutics as I, you know, tried to challenge some of my understandings, especially of Old Testament, things that didn't make sense and were like, what? Um, seeing the larger picture, you know, broadening that out, you see time and time again the love that God has for his people and the patience that he has um, for them, but you need to take that time and take those steps. And I think it's ultimately, unfortunately, I think is laziness on our part. Yeah. And that's what we, uh, on that challenge, I'll now try to find the link. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and that's, that's what we have to do, right? We, I mean, we have to do yeah. it with love, but we have to challenge one another to be like, yeah. you should oh, dig yeah. a little deeper into that. Or yeah. maybe it's not this thing. But that, that's the only way that I, I think that we can not truly be unbiased because I think that's impossible. But to get the best image we can is you have to take those steps. You have to talk to others. You have to talk to your leaders. You have to challenge your leaders. Um, you have to pray for your leaders, all those things. But it takes time and it takes effort that I think a lot of the time I know I'm not always willing to put in. Um, but we have to if, if we want to truly have an understanding of this God and if we truly think that this God who gave us everything – uh, if we truly believe in him, then I think we can spend a few extra minutes, you know, looking up a commentary or looking up and reading a few extra verses. Yeah. Um, I think with that as well, like as we're talking, as even that, that friendly challenge with the, with the, yeah, admit it, lazy. Um, but <laughs> I'm, I'm exhausted, man. But still, like it's, it's so easy to just look up a video. But as you're talking about like the challenging thing and examining our biases like i think also that means like with with trusted friends but people who even you might have some disagreements with having those conversations like ironing sharpening iron like i'll i've got like matt percy is a great example love the dude love cardboard coin yes shout out um but like our theological leanings are a little bit different i lean calvinist he leans um arminian a bit and that's 
like it's just interpretation and stuff and none of that to me is like hugely vastly important where it's like i need i'm worried about your salvation blah 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 but it's like okay i disagree about this you disagree about this let's try to understand each other have this conversation like challenge each other iron sharpens iron son like i think with so many things and i see it at work we're walking on tiptoes because there's a lot of for better or worse recognizing that there is good but it can get misused a lot of call out a lot of broad general statements and not necessarily wanting to hear the viewpoint where it's like well you said this i disagree and you're wrong and i hate you like just jump to that where it's like i don't hate you i disagree about this can uh, i'm like let's let's have a conversation let's understand each other even if we don't agree then we get to know each other's heart you get to understand because then also that way we're not looking at each other just through veiled lenses assumptions all that jazz but that's also i feel like we're i'm broaching a broader topic <laughs> no yeah and well i'm because we we are living in a pretty toxic society these days where it's just every thing you say is dissected and thrown apart and you're offending every person with everything you say um and so it's it's a mixed thing because on the one hand yeah because on the one hand part of me is like i don't want to be lumped in with all those other people giving us a bad name but i also shouldn't just sit idly by and say nothing and so with that i find kind of two two thoughts on it my my main one is just let my actions speak louder than their words and just do what i need to do and live that faith just like i did unintentionally when i was visiting those friends I didn't speak a word about my tattoos to him. And at the end of it, he was like, you've changed my mind on this thing. And that just shows I could have sat down immediately and tried to have a three-hour conversation convincing him why they're okay. And that may have pushed him farther into it. So on the one hand, we need to, I think, just let our actions speak. And then on the other hand, too, um, let those loud, annoying, evil people shout their nonsense and let them show how ridiculous they are. Um, I think that was a really good point that when I was talking yesterday with with my friend Ian um, about um, like um, freedom of speech and how there's these conversations about people should be able to say basically whatever they want, especially on like university campuses, even if it's hate speech. And I was like, my first thought is I don't agree with that because it should be a safe space. They should feel okay. But he he said an interesting point about he's like, they should be allowed to say whatever they want. Let that that darkness see the light of day. Let it be burned away by the light of their stupidity basically and let yeah. them go out there shout their stupid song and let them everyone see how stupid and ridiculous and false it is and be burned away so that all that remains is the good and i thought that was really a really interesting image for yeah. me because so much of the time we want to squash the negativity which i think is important we should we need to stand up for people and support people but also that idea of instead of forcing them into these little corners and doing these back alley deals let them just get to the front say their nonsense everyone see that it's nonsense and we can move on with our lives um yeah. and what's good and i thought that was a really interesting um point that just kind of i'm still sort of mulling over um even this morning but i think it's, it's just an interesting thing to take to heart um on, yeah. on all of that Oh yeah, and I, I I really appreciate that point, and that's a that's a good one. Uh, free speech is something that ends up being a uh, somewhat constant conversation uh, with the youth I work with, um, from people from almost. But I I hate that it's the common expression now. It's from both sides because to me it's like it, it one it affects everybody, and two it, there's multiple viewpoints, so it's not just down to two. But yeah. that's where we are. So. Yeah. 
but one one person was saying one thing and it's like well freedom of speech i'm like yes but that doesn't mean freedom of consequence like you're free to say what you want but someone's free to be upset by it that's okay like you need to recognize that that's okay just because you're saying it doesn't mean it's factual doesn't mean it's this it's your viewpoint but it's going to upset somebody i'm gonna allow it to happen i'm not gonna allow them to hit you in the face but i'm not gonna say like well they can't get upset because you said something and then i i tend to agree it's like i'd rather someone say something dumb than say horrendously offensive but i'd rather someone say something and have that be seen and be like okay yeah no none of us are on board with that yeah then like oh look at so and so they're so whatever yeah sorry i'm trailing off no, that's okay. And I think I think we can wrap it up. I know my my just big thing, my takeaway is just the this quote, I think it was in my textbook. It's the the challenge, um, just going back to the cultural interpretation yeah. and just really being aware of how we interpret scripture with our own biases and everything is the challenge is to critique our culture with the Bible and not vice versa. And it's yes. just we really have to, if we want to say we're a believer, we want to say we believe in all those standings that God is real, God exists, hell is real, sin is real, all those things, then we need to start our worldview. We need to start our our bias should be starting with Scripture and then going out from there. And I think that's ultimately what we have to do. And it's not going to be perfect and it's still going to be messy, but, yeah. but you need to start on the right foot. Uh, taking a viewpoint of god and scripture first what a novel idea but i know that's that's not knocking you i'm with you i'm like it shouldn't be it should not be a revelatory thing but it is yeah it's crazy that it feels like it's some sort of uh, you know epiphany but this is what we're called to do in scripture like exactly that is where we're supposed to start um yeah and if we're not doing that then we're doing something wrong and this is yeah and i don't need to go down another tangent but that's just where that's where it needs to start if ever you want to go on a tangent, by all means, tangents are what I do, son. <laughs> a good 50% of the podcast is tangents. Yes. I know, because I get messages from you being like, that was a tangent. I'm not sure that was connected. But <laughs> I appreciate the feedback always. And Brad, thank you for bringing this conversation forward. Um, I, I really, really enjoyed it. And dear listener, I hope uh, I hope God spoke to you through this conversation and through what Brad and I were talking about, um, that's not to big up us, but I literally pray frequently that God will use Brad as I know he does and he will use me as a tool um, and speak through us. So I pray that this challenged you in that good way that you'll examine some of the things we talked about, examine your bias before you go to scripture and then even as I said earlier, if it's a gray area and you're like, oh, no, I'm good. Pray through that because that could be your bias and not necessarily what Scripture's saying. Brad, do you have any final thoughts, my good man? Nah, man. You really said it all. The challenge is to critique our culture with the Bible and not vice versa. That's that's my ending point. Awesome. All right. Well, Brad, thank you so much. I'll make sure I get that link to the uh, that sounding awesome but also frightening study um, <laughs> with eight percent of 80 people oh my gosh no eight percent of the population in 2006 in the u.s yeah 
it's terrifying. Uh, <laughs> I'll try to get that link because I, I definitely want to review it and I'll share it so the listener can hear it. So, dear, or not hear it, read it. Uh, so, dear listener, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Keep Brad in your prayers and all that he does. Brad's a great guy with a great servant heart for the Lord. Um, you can follow him on Insta, on Instagram and the... Uh, the Kofi, I said it wrong, but the the youth shift. I'm get I'm butchering the names. I'm sorry, yes, man. Yes. There we go. Um, kids on track. Kids on track. Kids on track. Yeah. yeah. Check us out. Our website, kidsontrack.org. Our Instagram, our Facebook. We do lots of good work in Edmonton for families and kids and youth. I put the links in the last time you were on. I will put them again. Excellent. All that being said, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy, and God bless, my friends. Take care. <laughs>